shelter from the storm. Welcome to the Shelter from the Storm podcast, a daily walk through the Bible with me, Pastor Jason Poling, as we seek shelter in Jesus Christ from the storms of this life. It's a great day to glorify God. This is Pastor Jason coming to you from the Shelter from the Storm podcast, and we are in Mark chapter 3. We had a great conversation yesterday about the gospel, which is the whole point of this gospel of Mark and all the gospels and all the scripture about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. And today is Good Friday, and we are celebrating uh, that act of Jesus's paying for our sins on the cross so that we could be made right with the Father. We could have a restored relationship where before we were enemies of God, it says in Ephesians 2, but now we have an inheritance with God. We are adopted sons and daughters, as it says in Romans chapter 8. And yesterday we had this podcast, a special one with Jeremy Seifert, a great friend from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and it was awesome. Uh, the technical, we had some technical problems. I apologize for those that listened. For whatever reason, my uh, internet signal was really bad on my end. Fortunately, I wasn't the one that was doing most of the talking and teaching. It was Jeremy, and his came through loud and clear. So I hope you'll tune in and uh, just forgive us for the bad connection that I had on my side, but uh, listen to what Jeremy had to say about the gospel. It was awesome and powerful, uh, especially at the very end. He talked about how the gospel applies to the the struggle we're facing right now with the COVID-19 crisis and the fears and anxieties and suffering and all kinds of trials that you will face and have faced in your life, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant. It's the most relevant and powerful thing for you to think about and dwell upon and apply to your life in those crises. So it was a very, very powerful, special podcast. I hope you check it out. It was from yesterday. Today we are in Mark chapter 3, and I'm in the New American Standard Version. You can turn to whatever translation you choose. And now we are in verse 20. We just got done with uh, talking about the 12 disciples uh, a couple days ago on the podcast, and it ended in verse 19, uh, Judas Iscariot was the final disciple mentioned who betrayed him. And of course, we know that tonight marks the night when that betrayal occurred and Jesus was arrested and condemned to die. Now, verse 20 and following really start to help us see some of the opposition Jesus has. Uh, from various angles. And Judas Iscariot, of course, is the ultimate one who opposed Jesus. But in verse 20, says Jesus went home. Of course, the crowd still gathered again, so they could not even eat. We've talked about how Jesus was so hugely popular in the Israel, the nation of Israel, but beyond. So many people were coming to check him out and to learn from him. But there was much opposition. And the opposition came from some interesting places. Verse 21 it actually came from his very own family. When his family heard it, they went out to seize Jesus, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, we're not exactly sure who is saying he is out of his mind, but it likely was his family. In fact, we see that occur in other spots in Scripture. And just down the rest of this chapter, we may not have time to get to it today, but we'll talk about it in the next podcast on Monday. But verse 31 says, his mother and his brothers came. And so his mother and brothers are concerned about Jesus. And at one point in John, John chapter 7, we see his brothers sort of mockingly ask Jesus a question about why he's not revealing himself. And you just sense a a, a sense of doubt. Um, 
maybe not really supporting Jesus. And we see that with Mary too. Mary maybe didn't fully, at this point, grasp the nature of Jesus's deity. Uh, when he was born, she received the word from Gabriel, and she received her commission from God faithfully. She's a godly woman, but she may have indeed seen it in just um, the Old Testament terms of the Messiah and the physical kingship, and probably seeing Jesus as a special man, special prophet, special king. But the Son of God, that's a whole other thing. She may not have understood until towards the end of her life. And so it looks like her family, she and the boys, are coming to speak to Jesus, the eldest son, and kind of take him home so he doesn't get into further trouble as they might think he is because they think he's crazy. And he is indeed getting into further trouble. Verse 22, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying about Jesus, He is possessed by Beelzebub, or Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And Beelzebul is a term, a Canaanite uh, term for the enemy. And then verse 23, he called them to him. Jesus calls these scribes to him. And he says to them in parables, guys, let's think through this. Let's be logical here and rational. How can Satan cast out Satan? Verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. Guys, think about it. Verse 27, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now verse 28 we'll talk about in a second, but you see Jesus' point there. and It's actually, uh, I'm a big history buff, and Abraham Lincoln spoke these words applying it to the Civil War. So obviously he's taking it out of context severely, but it is, it is a logical concept that everyone understood when Abraham Lincoln spoke those words. And we understand this, or should understand it, and so should the scribes in these verses, that you can't have a kingdom divided. It will shatter in pieces. And so it makes no sense why Satan would attack his own minions. You know, if Jesus is from Satan and he's casting out demons from people, that is such an illogical activity and strategy for the evil one to pursue. In order to rob somebody's house, you have to bind the strong man. Well, Satan's not going to rob his own house. Satan's not going to bind the strong men, the demons, so that he can rob his own house. It doesn't make any sense. So Jesus is clearly saying, guys, I am from another kingdom. I am coming to cast out the lowercase k kingdom. Can't you see this? And of course, the Pharisees are so caught up in so many issues um, from jealousy to fear of losing their power and authority, from thinking that they're standing up for the authority of God's word, when in fact they're just standing up for a bunch of other legalistic additions to the scripture. So they're just so utterly confused. And the fact that they can't see this very logical point that Jesus is making is even further testimony to their confusion. Now, verse 28 is a tough one. Um, in 29, Jesus says, truly I say to you, and when he says truly, he really is saying something strongly, like amen, verily, verily, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. That's good news. 
and whatever blasphemies they utter even. Like blasphemies against God. And perhaps you've been there where you've maybe even cursed God in your suffering. I hate to say it, but I've actually been there. And I'm so grateful that we have a God who is so gracious to us, who will forgive us even the blasphemies that we utter against him. But verse 29, Jesus says, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but he but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because in verse 30, we get the uh, note from Mark that they were saying, the Pharisees were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So we already understood that. They think he's demonic. They think Jesus is working with Satan, which of course is so illogical. He can't be because he's casting out Satan. So what's going on here? This is a tough one. What is the unforgivable, unpardonable sin? Well, it's clearly here the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And we're honestly not 100% sure exactly what that means. There's been many, many, many attempts throughout the generations, uh, commentators, theologians, to try to understand this. My best understanding from all that is, is this. A couple things. First thing is we need to be always very careful when we're dealing with the Holy Spirit and attributing something that's, that somebody may say, this is of the Holy Spirit, and we say, no, that is satanic. Be very, very careful. A lot of times you see that in um, confrontations with charismatic circles, because obviously they emphasize the Holy Spirit's work more powerfully than maybe other traditions and streams of thought in the Christian world. And I've seen many books, many sermons, many people speaking against these charismatic brothers and sisters and saying what they're saying is the Holy Spirit is the devil. That's, they'll say this is a demonic thing that's happening. Now, it may be, I don't know. But I do want to say, be very, very, very careful to quickly denounce something as demonic, which could be the Spirit. Now, here's the second thing. Here's what I think it really is. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts and confirms uh, the gospel. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, he's also a comforter, but he's a convictor first. And so, if the only way you can be saved is to have the Holy Spirit convict you of the fact that you're a sinner, the fact that you have seen things wrongly about God and yourself, of the fact that you are an enemy of God, if the, if, if the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you of that sin, and then the, convict you of the judgment that is upon your head, and convict you of the righteousness that you don't have, that the righteousness that we should long for, we should make, we should long that every human heart and everything in the world is back to social justice and order, and it will be, and, and perfect like it was in the garden. We should want that. And the Holy Spirit convicts us that that is not the case. It's not the case in our world. It's not the case in our hearts. And so we have a problem, and that's what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Here's the problem. We are saying about the Holy Spirit's work of convicting us of our need for salvation. We are saying that either it's not the Holy Spirit, that he, we don't want to hear from him, or even worse, that we're saying it is demonic. It is actually not the Spirit at work. And so what we're doing in the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, essentially, in my understanding, is that we're cutting ourselves off from the only lifeline that we have, which is the Spirit of God. The only lifeline we have is the Spirit of God convicting our hearts that we need Jesus, a Savior. And so you can blaspheme Jesus, you can blaspheme the Father, I wouldn't recommend it, but we, we can and maybe we have 
and we can be forgiven because as long as we haven't cut off the Holy Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit will come in and tell us, convict us, say, hey, whoa, you just blaspheme the Spirit. Are you just blaspheme Jesus? You just blaspheme the Father. And then we can be softened in our heart, convicted of sin, judgment, and righteousness, and flee to the cross of Christ. And here's the thing. I think the Pharisees actually could have been forgiven for their blasphemy against the Holy Spirit if they had finally fleed to Jesus Christ, if they had softened their hearts. And so you may say, wait, it's an eternal sin. It is if you continue to persist in denying the work of the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin and judgment and righteousness and that Jesus is your Savior. And of course, if you die in that sin, it is very much eternal. There is no going back from eternal damnation. But in life, we do have the opportunity to finally listen to the Holy Spirit. And I think anyone can actually experience forgiveness if they hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So to me, that's what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is when you refuse to let the Spirit do His fundamental work of convicting you and me of sin, judgment, and righteousness, and therefore you fail then to run to the Savior for that forgiveness. Hope that helps. Love to hear your thoughts on that. I know it's a big question. We went a little bit longer on the podcast today because it is such a big question. You can email me at jason at cornerstoneyc.com. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks for taking a few minutes today to dive into the Word of God with me. I always love hearing your feedback and questions. So you can email me at jason at cornerstoneyc.com. Looking forward to continue in the Word of God with you as we seek shelter from the storm in Jesus Christ.